So we're walking into a new series for the next several weeks. I'm really excited to introduce you to this series. And the name of the series is Written in Red. And the idea behind Written in Red is if you have a Bible, most likely you have some text in there that is written in red. And usually the things that are written in red, if you have a Bible that has letters in red, are things that God has said, are specifically things that Jesus has said. And uh, as a result, there are certain things that are written in red that sometimes we see those things, and those are like the most popular things for us to gravitate towards. So if you have a quote on your fridge or on your t-shirt or on your car or on your wristband out of the Bible, it's highly likely that's one of the things that might have been written in red because it was something that Jesus said. Now, there are some things that Jesus said that are difficult to understand. And so sometimes we just move past those things because we assume that, you know, someday someone will explain them to us. And, and so I wanted to talk about how sometimes we say things and if they were to be quoted just out of context, it would be horrifying for us to hear them. And so I was thinking about if I followed you around for, I don't know, three years. First of all, that's creepy. Why am I doing that? And I just wrote down some of the things that you said all day, every day. And then someone asked me, well, what was it like hanging out with Kevin? And I just went to my notes, and I just gave you one sentence that Kevin said. And I said, maybe the sentence that Kevin said was, um, let me think of something awesome that Kevin could have said. I hope they kill them all. <laughs> right? And that's what you knew about Kevin. You would form some interesting opinions about Kevin. I hope they kill them all. That's Kevin. Thanks for that, Kevin. Right? So... If someone were to come to you and say, oh, you got a T-shirt that says, I hope they kill them all, you must be a fan of Kevin. You'd be like, well, that's kind of weird, right? Now, if I told you, oh, you know, I hope they kill them all, Kevin was talking about people with red hair. Some of you would immediately go, wow, I have some strong opinions. We have some people with red hair. I know people with red hair. I like people with red hair. I don't discriminate against redhead people. I don't like Kevin, right? Now, Kevin didn't say that. I told you Kevin said that. Uh, he just said, I hope they kill them all. But if I tell you the context was people with red hair, you'd freak out. I might say, um, you know, no, he said, I hope they kill them all. But he was talking about, I don't know, let's get a little bit tense in here. He's talking about terrorists. Ooh. Now, some of you would shift your thinking. Some of you would still have the same thinking. But it would definitely elicit a different response. All of a sudden, you'd have a much different response on how you felt about Kevin. He didn't say anything different. I just told you who he was talking to. The quote hasn't changed at all. Now, I might say, you know what was going on is Kevin and I were having lunch, and I told him that there's an exterminator at the church because there's cockroaches at the church. And he said, I hope they kill them all. You now have a completely different opinion about Kevin. Now you're high-fiving him. You're like, Kevin's awesome. I also hope they kill them all. Maybe you're a cockroach apologist. I'm not sure. But, I, but, but more than likely, your opinion has dramatically changed. His quote hasn't changed, but the context has changed. And so as we walk into some of the things that Jesus says, oftentimes we tend to look at them in a vacuum and then form opinions, or maybe we've heard someone allude to that quote in a specific context, and we've formed an opinion about what Jesus said, and maybe we even have the quote right, 
But because we don't understand who he was talking to or what they would have understood, we think that he hates redheaded people when really he was just pro, you know, no cockroaches. <laughs> so I want to kind of walk with you through some things for the next several weeks that Jesus said. Now, this is going to take us into some tense areas. And for some of us, there'll be some things that Jesus said that even in context, we still don't like it. It makes us uncomfortable. And I, I'm okay with that. Can we be okay with that? So I was uh, just a couple of weeks ago talking to somebody, and they were asking me how I felt about something, some political hot topic, and I directed them to what Jesus said. And their comment was, well, I believe the Bible, I just don't like those parts. Now you laugh, but, but it's true that sometimes we form opinions and we think, well, the Bible just hasn't caught up to our opinion yet. And we get kind of, we get like, we want to just believe pieces and jump in. And I was thinking about that, and I was like, you know what that's like? It'd be like if me and Jeff were going to go skydiving. And we've never been before, and we decide, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go skydiving. That'll be awesome. So we show up at the place, and there's a class before you go skydiving. And the instructor begins to say, this is what's going to happen. You're going to tandem jump, and you've got to get into this harness. And here's how the harness works. And if I were to say, okay, I really love the idea of skydiving, and I really love the idea of a parachute that works, but I don't care about the details of how to strap in. So don't bother me with that nonsense. I'm not going to pay any attention to that. But I, I want to go skydiving, and I love the idea of a parachute. I'm totally good with it, but don't bother me with the, with the details. I don't care how to strap in. I don't, I don't want to pay attention to those details. You would say that I'm insane. You would say that seems very short-sighted that you say that you really believe that this is going to be good, but when I begin to explain the details of how that actually works, the details you find too offensive or mundane or they don't align with you, so you're like, ah, I don't really care about the details. So we get up into the plane, and Jeff jumps out, and he's strapped in, and, poof, and I watch, and I'm like, oh, that's awesome, and I just run and jump out of the plane. And my guy's like, hey, we're not strapped in. And down I go, spiraling to my downfall. But that's kind of what we do when we take some of the things that Jesus said and we say, well, I, I, want, I like this part and I like where this goes in the end, but I don't care about how to strap in for this life that Jesus called us to. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how to strap in. Some of the things that he says, they may they may offend us a little bit at first, and all I'm going to do is say, I didn't write it. So here we go. <laughs> oh, good time. So as we do, we're going to walk right into one this morning that I think will launch us into this whole series. And I'm in Luke chapter 14, and if you're a Bible person, you can follow along. I'll put the scriptures up there for you. Um, but I really, I was really challenged by this. Even, even as I had an opinion about this and I got more into studying it, I changed because I understood more. And we, as we change and we grow, we understand more and we pay attention. The third or fourth time I take that class before I jump out of the plane, I probably have a better understanding of how things work and how it moves. And so we're going to walk through this and I'm going to help you strap in. I'm in Luke chapter 14. I'm going to start with verse 27 and then I'm going to back up. Can we read this together? This will be good. All right. On the count of three. One, two, three. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That's it. Message over. Wow. <laughs> Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me 
cannot be my disciple. Jesus, that sounds kind of harsh. It's what's all these rules? So many rules, Jesus. Whoever does not carry the cross. You know what's funny? Is I read this for years, and I, I just put what I thought he meant the metaphor of cross must be into his words and read it like that. So for me, for years, this was just about whoever does not carry like their weight, right? What's your cross? What does he mean when he says carry the cross? So I was always like, carry your, pull your own weight, right? Don't be lazy, pull your own weight. That's kind of what I read when I read it. If you just gave me that out of context, that's how I would read it. Whoever doesn't carry their cross and follow me cannot be the disciple. Jesus is saying, don't be lazy. And then I would just move on. Because I looked at this verse the same way that we looked at Kevin wanting them to kill them all. It's just like a snapshot of one thing Jesus said without any context. But we're going to get into the context a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, just back up a couple verses and let's go to verse 25 and let's talk about what's going on in this passage. I don't know about you, but I would like to be a disciple of Jesus. So the context of what's going on right here is that Jesus has just left the Pharisee's house. He's been teaching. And as he leaves, there are large crowds that have gathered. Large crowds. Now, I was thinking about this. Jesus is becoming more and more popular. And, and people are hearing cool and amazing stories. But have you ever, have you ever been like the seventh or eighth person in a rumor chain? And you hear something, and by the time you hear it, it's unbelievable. And you're like, no, and no, I totally heard from so-and-so who heard from so-and-so who heard from so-and-so that Jesus, like, flew, he ascended into heaven, he did double backflips, dropped down, the fire exploded. No way. That's awesome. That's how word-of-mouth things are spreading about Jesus at this point, okay? And he has done some incredible things. If you feed 5,000 people... Plus, at one time, with a couple of fishes and some bread, people are going to start telling stories. There's a lot of hungry folks out there. They're going to say, hey, I just want to be close so that when the food gets passed down, if you heal somebody, if you see, if you walk through a, a line of sick folks and you walk to someone who's never walked and you look at them and you say, pick up your mat and get up, and people see that and they see him pick up his mat and get up and walk away, people are going to start telling stories about that. When you start gathering a crowd and the political climate is charged and people are looking for a leader to overthrow the government... I mean, we know that. People are going to get excited. Probably for the wrong reasons, but they're going to get excited. This guy's going to overthrow the government. Yeah. That's what's going on. And so large crowds are starting to follow Jesus everywhere he goes. Now, Jesus is interesting in the fact that when he interacts with large crowds, he seldom seems concerned about their feelings. That's totally a weird paradigm for me to understand because I always feel like I have to care about everybody's feelings, that I should do the best. I got to tell the truth, but I got to just be compassionate. And Jesus doesn't seem to be as concerned about that. What he seems concerned about is helping people to understand what's really going on here. And you got to remember, they can't just look up his bio. He doesn't have a Wikipedia page, right? They just know he has exploded on the scene. 
And it's a big deal. And everywhere he goes, these crowds are gathering. And so Jesus is looking at this crowd. And he's mixed group of people. And his invitation is always to the crowd, come and follow me. Because if you follow me, you're going to see some truth. Then you're going to have to experience that truth, and you're going to have to make some decisions. And so Jesus, looking out at this crowd that has begun to follow him, even though they see what they see is not the savior of the world. What they see is a rock star, someone who's popular, who might be a political activist, who may be able to advocate for them. And it says this in verse 25. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. It says, and then turning to them, he said, this is written in red. I'm not making this up. He says, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers, his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who doesn't carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Uh, thanks, Jesus. That's awesome. Didn't see that one on your T-shirt. Don't have that one painted on the wall of your house and all stenciled out with nice stuff. Hate your mother and father. Hate your brothers and sisters. Hate your own life. Be a disciple. <laughs> <laughs> what are you serious that's a crazy approach to tell a giant crowd and so we have to understand the context what is Jesus saying and why in the world is he saying it now what I can tell you is he's not telling them to literally hate his father mother brother sister because if he was he'd be telling them to break the law that would have been against the law in their Jewish culture to hate your family and treat them that way. He's not telling them to hate literally their family. He's not. If he was, he'd be breaking the law. As a Jewish rabbi, he would not have advocated for them breaking the law. So here's one of those things where Kevin says something, and we don't understand it without the right context. So let's get some context of what he's talking about here. Essentially, here's how I can make this make sense for us. If I were to ask you to write down your life's biggest priorities, top five biggest priorities of your life, most of you would write some list that looks something like this. Well, first place goes. Yep, second goes. Third goes. Uh-huh, fourth goes. It starts getting off, right? Fifth goes, maybe career. Sixth goes, like, dog. Seventh is mother-in-law. I mean, you just keep working your way. Wherever you go on your list, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, right? I'm just seeing if you're staying with me or not. But that would be what your list looked like, right? So what Jesus is articulating in his vernacular is essentially that same principle that in your life, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, your priorities need to look like that. that you, see, we understand that in our context, and they would have understood it in their context. When he says, hate your mother, father, he's essentially saying that you've got to love them less, second, third, fourth in your priority list than me. And now most of us wouldn't have a hard time with that. Again, if exterminators come in, we're fine with that. We get it. If you're telling me I don't like redheads, man, we got it. we're going to war. That's what he's talking about. He's saying you've got to get your priorities right. Now, what is true in that culture is that many families may have disowned their families for people going and following Jesus. We saw that happen several times through the scriptures that, hey, I'm going to go be a Jesus follower. And their family said, mm, you're out. Some of us have experienced that even today. When you took a step of faith and said, there's something 
about this story. And there's something about this, this, this relationship that I'd begun with the Savior that's different than maybe my family of origin's expectation. And you began to break the mold of your family of origin. And they came to you and they said, you know what? If you do this, you're out. If you do this, you're no longer welcome in the family. If you do, now that's harsh, but some of us have experienced that. And Jesus is saying, if you're not willing to risk that, that's part of the journey of becoming more and more like me. Now, it's important somewhere in here that we describe what a disciple is because the invitation to be a follower of Jesus was always available to everybody at any time. In fact, he sat down in houses where outsiders looked and said, why is he hanging out with these people? Why is he hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and, and women of ill repute? And his constant conversation with people who were far away from him was, you are invited to follow. You're all invited to follow. But then he clarified and said, but if you want to be a disciple, you're going to have to make some different choices. You're going to have to partner with it. You're going to have to take some ownership. What I'm accomplishing for you is free, and all you have to do is accept it. But if you want to move on this journey and become a disciple, now a disciple is someone who looks and models the behavior of a master. And he says, if you want to look and model my behavior, it's going to require some partnership on your part. And there's going to be some things that you have to change and do. You get to be a part of working out your salvation. Now, some of you are already like, ah, you lost me already. That's okay. Hopefully you'll come back around or just write me an angry email. But listen, Jesus' invitation was always that anyone at any time could come and follow him. But he made a distinction about disciples. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to live like I live, if you want to start modeling behavior that I model, then you've got to be willing to make some adjustments. And the first one he outlines right here is you got to get your priorities straight. Now, most of us have no problem saying those priorities, but do we do them? I don't know. When push comes to shove, if I looked at your schedule, if I looked at your checking account, if I looked at whatever, would your priorities that you just shared with me, would they line up with those things? That's not, I'm not condemning you. I'm just asking you. So then he turns and he says, and anyone who doesn't carry his cross and follow me can't be my disciple. Now, I mentioned earlier, I never really understood this except for in a vacuum. But if you think about this culture that he's talking to, they have witnessed crucifixions. That's part of their culture. They've witnessed people who have been condemned of a crime, found guilty of a crime. And the next step after they've been beaten is to throw a cross on their backs and parade them through town to the place of execution. They have an actual picture of what that is. You and I don't have that kind of context. So it's hard for us to put our heads there, to realize that on a given day, we might look out the window of our house and a crowd could be marching by, hurling insults at someone who was bloodied and beaten and carrying a cross and marching to their own execution. Do you understand the different culture that he's talking to? That's not abnormal in their culture. In our culture, we'd be pretty shocked by that. Now, what did that cross signify in that culture? Well, 
essentially, when they grabbed that cross and they paraded it through town, it was Rome saying that in the court system, they have found that they are right and you are wrong. And it's like an admission of your guilt to make you carry your cross through the town square so everyone can see that though you may have thought one thing, you've now aligned yourself with Rome to the point of death and you would now die. So when Jesus says to a group, a massive crowd who is looking for a rock star that they can follow, that is looking for a celebrity, who is looking for, hey, is there some free food around this joint? I mean, let's face it. If food is given out, there will always be a crowd. You'll always have a crowd. If you have food, you will have a crowd. I promise you. If there are healings happening, you will have a crowd. I promise you. Their agenda may be different than what you wish their agenda was, but they will show. So here comes this crowd, and he says, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to align with me publicly, though others hurl insults on you and think that you are disgraceful for doing it, you're going to have to be willing to physically and visually before others stand for what I stand for. You see that picture now that they saw? Being a follower of Jesus, he said, you got to not just come for the show. You've got to align with me. You've got to be willing to carry a cross through town. And even though everyone around would be hurling insults and mocking you for making that decision, say, no, 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 no. I'm on team Jesus. It's kind of like when I wear Niner gear around here, <laughs> right? And I got to say, I am willing to take the mockery because we stink. But I am aligned with the good and with the light. No. <laughs> right? But you guys feel me. If I were to wear that gear through Seattle and sit in the stadium, there would be hurled insults. And most of you are pretty polite. You would just under your breath say, idiot, or you know, something like that. Take that out of the podcast. But, but, but uh, whatever you say, you would say, right? But... But that's what he's saying. He's saying, you've got to align. And it may look like you carrying a cross. Now, what they don't know and don't realize is he's going to actually demonstrate that physically for them. He's simply making a metaphor for them at this time that you understood in that time to mean I am aligning. I am saying that I, am, I, I was wrong before and I have been corrected. It is better to live for Jesus. You've got to carry your cross. He said, being a disciple has to be about going public with what he has said. You know, I think sometimes we get frustrated because there's something in us that wants to believe that this journey with Jesus should be really, really easy. Because salvation is so easy, we think discipleship should equally be easy. And it's hard for us to get our minds around this idea that God loves us so much that right where we're at, no matter how much we have messed the whole thing up, he, we can't even address the level of love that he has for us. And how dare us think that we could somehow determine how much God loves us. You don't get to pick how much God loves you. He has already stated clearly and unequivocally by sending his son for you how much he loves you. So your behavior cannot shrink nor magnify the love of God in your life. That's how much he loves you. And it's free and it's available. And honestly, it's confounding how simple it is. And, and it's amazing and it's awesome. And so we want to associate that incredible truth with the rest of our lives just also being that easy and working that easy. 
And we get frustrated when sometimes our lives don't go that way. And it gets more difficult. And this journey that we're on sometimes has stress and pain. James later says you should consider it pure joy when you go through those. And we think he's crazy. Why would we want to go through that? So I was thinking about just how our collective consciousness always wants the easiest, least path of resistance. And I came across this list, and I had to share it with you because it was amazing. And, and it's, it's things that people wrote on comment cards to a wilderness uh, organization where they did hikes and, and retreats and things. And so they wrote feedback on the comment cards, okay? And, uh, and, and these are the kinds of things they said. Uh, one, the trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. Someone wrote that on a card at a wilderness retreat. But that's the mindset we have, right? Jesus, make sure there's no uphill in my life. Right? I like this one. There's too many bugs, leeches, spiders, and spider webs. Could you please spray the wilderness and rid the area of these pets, of these pests? Are you kidding me? But that's our mindset, right? Please pave the trails. Chairlifts need to be in some places so we can get to the wonderful views without having to hike. This one blows me away. A small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. Is there a way I can be reimbursed? Please contact me. I couldn't make that up. I couldn't make that up. But can you imagine? That's the same mindset we take into our faith. Jesus, I've been inconvenienced. Can you make this easier for me? My life isn't as easy as I wish it would be. Could you just go ahead and make this happen the way I want it to happen? I don't want to deal with any adversity. The last one was pretty funny. There's too many rocks in the mountains. <laughs> I don't know, right? But we all do it. We naturally default to the path of least resistance. And we expect our faith to somehow align with that path of least resistance. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to come to me, there is no resistance. But if you want to live like me, you're going to have to make some choices to partner. You're going to have to own your part. When Jesus looks at his disciples, he tells them to go and make disciples. He said, go make people who are aware of how amazing and free this gift of my love is and what I went through to demonstrate it for others. Verse 28, a couple more quick stories. We'll wrap it up. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation, he's not able to finish it. Everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build, but he wasn't able to finish or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first, down and cons first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the others are still a long way off, and he'll ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Say, what? <laughs> I, got my, I got my one responder over here. I like it. He's training all of you how to go to church with me. It's okay to talk to me. What is he saying? He's saying two huge principles. One, have you considered what it's going to take if you really make a commitment to be a disciple? Have you considered the cost? 
Have you considered what it will do to your life, to your family, to your time, to your attitude? Have you considered that cost? Because Jesus says if you haven't considered that cost and you start down that road and you get about halfway and go, ah, it's not worth it, that's an object of ridicule to your peers. He says you've actually kind of shamed yourself to your peers. Now, he doesn't treat you with shame, but you have to think about that. If you go step out in, in faith and say, I'm, gonna, I'm all in for Jesus, and then all of a sudden things get difficult, and you're like, ah, I'm out for now. That's a horrible testimony. He says the people looking around see your life and go, ah, I guess you weren't really all in. He says don't, don't start unless you've thought through what it may take. It's the reason that you may change a career field. It's the reason that you may change a location. It may, it may change and challenge huge things in you. You may give up some things that other people think, why would you ever give that up? And you say, oh, I, I gave that up because Jesus. And, and, and they'd say, I don't understand. You say, but you may not understand. But in my economics, it's different. It's better to be with Jesus than to have that thing. See what I'm saying? Have you considered the cost? I may not get to hang out in some of the places I like to hang out and do some of the things I used to like to do because it associates me not with Jesus and I need to be associated with Jesus and I gotta be willing to carry my cross in those environments and since I can't carry my cross in that environment, I may have to leave that environment. Well, I don't really wanna leave that environment. Okay, well, did you consider the cost? I didn't ask you, Jesus says it. And then he reminds us, hey, sometimes there's gonna be a fight and you're gonna be undermanned and you're gonna have to stand for what you believe, even though you don't look like you have the high ground. You may have the high moral ground, but you may not have the advantage. You may have to look at others and say, hmm, everybody thinks this, but I'm going to stand for what I know is true because these are the words of Jesus. He says, are you ready for that fight? Because if you're not ready for that fight, just make peace. Just make peace. Just send out an ambassador and say, oh, it's cool, do whatever you want. I won't stand for what's right. He's like, if you're not ready to stand, then don't stand. Yeah, can you imagine this crowd's take on that? They came for the show. They want an autograph, a free fish, right? That's what they came to see. And he's like, wait, everybody's invited to follow. But did you come to be a disciple? Because if you came to be a disciple, I hope you considered what it might cost you. I hope you considered that it might be a fight from time to time. I hope you've considered that... I'm looking for people who are all in. Now, the last one just torches me, and then we're done. Verse 34. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, I must admit I'm greatly influenced by something I heard uh, one, of, one of my guys I listened to say here, and Francis Chan said it, and it's stuck with me ever since, but there's this picture of what happens when, th when salt isn't good anymore, and he says, if you are salty, that's awesome, but if you lose your saltiness, I don't know what to do with you, because if I throw salt on the ground, it kills the ground. I can't even discard you easily, and if I throw salt into the manure pile, it contaminates the manure pile. The manure pile is good. I can use that, essentially, they would have heard this. Now, I want you to plug the ears of the children for a second here. He, they would have heard, hey, 
if you aren't really in, but you say that you're in, and then there's nothing that you're in, so I can't get you to be in, if, if there was a pile of poo and I threw you on the poo, you'd contaminate the poo. Are you kidding me? But that's what he says. If I had a pile of poo and I had you not willing to be who you've been designed to be, I don't know what you want from me. Why are you in the crowd? I can't do anything with that. There's no place to go here. You have to choose to walk through this journey. It doesn't mean I don't love you. I'm just saying I don't know how to activate you. How many times? Ooh. How many times have we felt like, ah, oh, I really want to do that. Oh, I'm not going to do that. Oh, I'm going to start. Oh, I can't. It's too hard. Oh, I'm and Jesus is like, ah, I don't know what to do with you. I, don't need, I can't even discard you because you just contaminate anything with your indifference. Are you in or not? Your indifference is dangerous. It's toxic. It contaminates things. Do you care? Are you in? Do you want to be a disciple? I love you. You can come and follow. But if you want to be a disciple, have you thought about what it will cost? Have you thought about what it takes to align with me? Even when others would say, oh, that's an object of ridicule. Have you thought about prioritizing me in your life first, like really prioritizing me in my, your life first and what that will mean to your schedule, to your finances, to your resources, to your family, to your everything? Have you thought about what that will really mean? Do you know what it means to align with me even when everyone else is saying, well, that's just okay now. And you say, you know what? That's never gonna be okay because these words in red say it's not okay. Have you thought about what that will cost you in your reputation? Will you be seen as unkind and unloving? Have you thought about if you get started, what it's going to take to stick the course? Have you just thought, oh, it'd be cool to get started, and as soon as you go, oh. So here's a funny story. I planted a church in Oregon. We had about 40 college kids come right when we got started, and I love college kids. So I was one at one point, and, and they were all Bible college kids that half of them were kids that I had had even in youth group before, and so sent them off to Bible college, and then we planted this church, and they loved to come and talk about what a new church could do. They loved it. It was awesome. Oh, a new church. That's awesome. We're going to reach new people. That's awesome. I said, great. I need you at 6 a.m. on Sunday to help us set up. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. What do you mean you're out? Well, that's, that's, you guys are kind of far away. Wait, you could get here when it was six at night and there was free food. <laughs> Did you count the cost? Did you realize that it might take something from you to be a part and do? Now, here's the cool thing about God. He never, he never calls you to a place where he takes something from you that he doesn't replenish and restore and revive. And every time what he gives you in its place is better. It's better. It's better. But he's like, have you counted the cost? Have you considered that it might be a fight? You might have to fight sometimes. And you may seem like you're on the, on the, in the minority. But I'd rather be in the minority and aligned with Jesus. Do you hear that? I'd rather be in the minority and aligned with Jesus. And I'll take the hit. I'll take the hit. Not everyone will like me. Got it. Sometimes people in my family will be like, seriously? Got it. Sometimes everybody else will be doing some fun thing, and I'll be doing the work so that they can do the fun thing. Got it. Sometimes everybody will be watching the big game, and I'll be doing whatever it is, right? I got it. 
I'm okay because it's better. It's worth it. It's worth it. My life can make a difference, and that's more than what it would have been. So that's my question as we walk into this first piece of controversial, tough things that Jesus said. Have you thought about what it will take? You know, I've been thinking a lot about this word disciple and how it means to become uh, more and more like Jesus. But as we become a disciple, an easy way to kind of phrase that, a great way I saw that, is, is basically we're just continuing to increase in how we love people and how we love God. As long as we're increasing and moving forward in that, we're becoming disciples. We're becoming more and more like Jesus because that's how we articulated what that looks like. We're just going to keep loving people more and we're going to keep loving God more and we're going to keep moving forward and whatever that costs, okay, I'm in. I'm in. Now, does that mean we're going to throw all wisdom out and God's going to call us to some place where he wants us to? No, that's not the case. It just means I'm willing to be a disciple. Followers, all welcome. Disciples, got to want to pay the price. You got to partner. Here's the cool thing about Jesus. How cool is it that he invites us to partner in that journey? He doesn't just manipulate us. He doesn't condemn us into it. He doesn't guilt us or shame us into it. He just invites us. He just wants you to be clear. Hey, this is a thing. And so if you want to do this, have you thought about what that is? Because he walks to everyone, everyone, 21 times, I think it says in, in the scripture, maybe 22. He says, hey, just come follow me. Come follow me. You're in. You're in. I love you. You're in. Yeah, you're on the team. You know, no one's picked last. You're all picked first. Everyone gets to be on the team. You're all in. But if you want to go where I'm going and you want to be a part of this thing, it's going to require that you actually step up 